your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast with a name good enough to steal Brought to you by Stick Around Podcast we're Bella and Lance Stickney, a newlywed couple that has family around the world. Every week we talk about what's going on in our lives and topics suggested by you, the listener, or honestly, anything we fancy. So catch up with us every week, then stick around with Bella and Lads. I mean, that's, it's, oh it's, it's creative marketing. Um, I mean, passive-aggressive event, well actually more like aggressive-aggressive, to sponsor <laughs> another podcast with a name they've stolen. With their podcast, I mean, they must realise quite how desperate we are for um, sponsorship funds. That you know, we've sunk this low. Um, well, this is uh, this is basically the new Monday Night Wars, isn't it? The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Sunday Morning Wars. <laughs> Christ, yeah, I, I hope we are raw and not Nitro. <laughs> I don't know. Nitro did live the dream for a bit. Yeah, but you didn't, know, just didn't end well. You know, burn bright. You know, unless you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. But okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you, you had to be there in the uh, the nineties, right? I wasn't clearly. You honestly have no idea what we're on about. <laughs> no, is it wrestling? <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you did. You did. I got that much, but I don't know who Nitro <laughs> is and who these other people are. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I've missed out on a massive chunk of childhood, as usual. Um, (laughs) you're here hopefully for the stick around podcast about uh, pop culture Um, (laughs) 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 this bloke is Michael Johnson I am and this fella is Clive Fisher I am indeed yours truly Alex Wayne Um, how are we all doing anyway what's this week been like um, pretty standard. It's well, it's been a little bit more meeting people, you know, at a distance and all that jazz. A uh, few few drop-ins, having a tea in the garden. Yeah, quite nice. Um, yeah, so that that's that's probably been the main change. Which has same been good for, actually. Yeah, same. Me, I've I've been to uh, I've been to the office this week. Um, Ooh, yeah. I've I've had a couple of meetups with people, and I've been to a non-essential shop. Ooh, <laughs> what? I haven't done that yet because I heard people were. I was like, I just, I need to get some jeans quite badly, and I always have to try them on. But I was like, I'm not going this week. It's just going to be everyone's going to be like, oh my god, they've opened shops, so I have to now go to a shop. Um, and yeah. there was just massive queues. I was like, why would you? I don't know. It just sounds like the work. Like I hate shopping for a start, but having to queue to then get in. I mean, there's one thing at Alton Towers queuing for half an hour and then getting something good at the end. This is like queuing for half an hour, <laughs> and you get in somewhere that you just want to get out of really quickly. I've, I've got uh, to so say. <laughs> I've got to say, Clive, I remember queuing 45 minutes for Oblivion, which is an 11-second ride, was not worth it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree it's not. It's more worth it. But, yeah, I still think the Alton Towers queues are too ridiculous. Um, <laughs> unless you've got something really good, like if you've got a cracking audio book or something to do in the queue, all right. But um, it's just, yeah, it's just what, queuing for... It's not even that great half the time. It's like... It's not worth it. I'd rather just go. The best theme park I ever went to was Gardaland, which is like one in Italy. We went with my dad when we were about, I was probably like 10 or something, maybe 11, somewhere around there. Um, 
And we went, I don't know what, how my dad pulled this off because it's quite a big part, but there was literally no one there. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, we just got on everything straight away. It was amazing. We were just there all day. We must have gone on hundreds of things. Um, that's the only theme park experience that I remember in a positive way. Biggest disappointment in life? Probably Alton Towers. It's rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael, Michael, what was the non-essential shop you went to? Well, we're not getting we're not getting paid to reveal this, are we? But uh, it was it was Vision Express. Oh, interesting. I went to Specsavers this week. Did you go? Ah, yes. Did you get an eye test? No, I'd already had that. Uh, Glasses arrived in the post. I bought them the week before lockdown, of course, typically. Right. Um, but they just needed readjusting slightly. Yeah, because I was I, I was a Vision Express customer, but then they weren't doing eye tests whatsoever. Uh, but Specsavers were, albeit behind oh. a huge amount of PPE. But um, you know, lost a customer. D- WCW to WWF there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that sounds like I'm slagging off Vision Express, doesn't it? Maybe yeah. shouldn't do that. Yeah. Loyal customer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't really like going to a non-essential shop because I had an appointment because they were phasing me back in. I'd say that's fairly essential. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I got the non-essential shopping experience. You know, there was a bloke wandering around Stockton Town Centre with his top off, but he did have a mask on. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, wow, uh, quite a combo. <laughs> a strong combo. Yeah. <laughs> Right, well, let's get this let's get this rolling. Um, let's go to a man who is definitely not not non-essential. Uh, it's Clive Fisher. <laughs> well, I thought as soon as he started yeah, that, that, I was, thought this that is, was some this risky going negatives going on there. <laughs> I think you nailed it. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I sure. Think, I think you did. Um, can, <laughs> Funny. Can way. you hear like? Can, can you hear a, a podcast in the background? Another podcast. <laughs> it's like a weird way. I'll uh, I'll go shut the door in case. No. I'll edit this out. A stick around turned up. <laughs> are they, are they, yeah, I've got the other one playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. Every whatever I turn on, it just comes on. I don't know what they're doing to us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm back. No, um, Elle's listening to Brenny Brown's. I forgot what it's called now. Unlocking us, I think. It's oh. good. Recommended. Um, Right, okay, we've gone to me. So I've uh, decided this morning I'm going to talk... There's a couple of things I could have talked about. I've decided on this. Um, I've got into a new hobby, which is audiobooks. I don't know if anyone else has ventured down this road, because... I have in the past. We basi- um, basically started because I... Um, so there's a the Bob Dylan book called Tarantula, which is the only book he's written, except for the autobiographical one, I believe. Could be wrong there. Um, which is essentially stuff he wrote while he was writing Blonde on Blonde and uh, Highway 61. And it's famously mad and kind of undecipherable. Um, it's kind of like a, a weird sort of a... <laughs> uh, oh, what's that bloody word? Stream of consciousness poetry mm-hmm. in a way. A sort of set of stories, but they're all really weird. But um, anyway, an audiobook version. I realised there's an audiobook version and I was like, "This, I need to, you know, I need to listen to this because it's the kind of thing that'll be interesting as an audiobook. And it's uh, really well read. Um, so I got the whatever the audible thing, and you get the free one. Uh, then I wanted to cancel it, but they offered me some more. So I was like, "All right, go on then." <laughs> uh, so I thought, and then they had a two for one offer. So I got a couple of books, and now I'm well into it. Uh, and one of the books I listened to was uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey, um, the okay. novel as opposed to the film. Which, I, to be fair, I didn't realise there was a novel. 
which is a 1968 science fiction novel by Arthur C. Clarke, which was um, interestingly developed at the same time as Kubrick's film version, and uh, they worked on the book essentially together, certainly to begin with, although the book then went a slightly different route um, because the I think the script for the film was kind of finalised before the book was finished, if that makes sense, or the storyboard or whatever. Um, but it's very similar to the film. But only Arthur Clarke was is, is credited, it says, a novel by Arthur C. Clarke, although it does say at the bottom of this version, based on the screenplay by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Um, so Stanley Kubrick did get some kudos, at least. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very well written with a lot of um, scientific details you might expect. There's some really um, some really strikingly beautiful passages, I thought, in particular, uh, particularly towards the end of the book. And actually, this is something that I've begun to really enjoy with audiobooks. Almost find I'm paying more attention than when I read. And I've definitely, I think, when some like a passage is really beautifully written, it's popping out more than it probably would if I was reading it in a book, weirdly, um, which I'm quite enjoying. This particular one is read by Dick Hill, uh, who's got this wonderful old-school deep voice, <laughs> which uh, I kind of fell in love with and uh, didn't really want it to end. I just want him to read all the, all the books. Um, but it, it to me, it, like to put it into some context, I've not seen the film probably since I was... I can't remember. It must be about 10 years ago. It's a long time ago. So I like vividly remember kind of certain images of the film and a bit about the plot, but don't really remember all that much. So I'm in that kind of space. Um, it does. I've read kind of both plots now, just because I want to see where it deviated from the film. It does deviate enough from the film um, to make it interesting, I think. Uh, and there's a lot of thing the film leaves open to questioning that are filled in a little bit by the book, although often more in a sort of hypothetical way. In that the the main characters kind of pondering what the reasons could be, um, rather than conclusively saying why a certain things happened that isn't explained in the film, for example. Um, I would say maybe it's it's perhaps probably a little bit too close if you've just seen the film very recently, um, but I'd say it's really worth a read. It's um, it's a film that it's a film that I want to watch again now, having read this. But it's what I found really interesting is the fact that um, once you've seen a film, it's really impossible to read anything about it without envisioning things as they are in the film. A, a good example of this is, for example, Harry Potter. So I read. Uh, the first four Harry Potter books, I think, when they came out, never got, never had the other three. Um, but I'm going to now. Then, obviously, the films came out. Watched the films, and now I'm reading them again to to L. And we're on Prisoner of Azkaban. But now, when you're reading them, I can't. You can't read them without thinking of Hermione looking like uh, Emma Watson, or you know, Harry Potter looking like Daniel Radcliffe. You just can't because that's where your brain goes. Uh, same with like Lord of the Rings. I read that before the films came out. If I read it again, I'd be thinking about the characters and the places and everything as it is in the film, which is k- kind of interesting. And I think I would really like to read this book, and I imagine that probably no one has, or maybe someone in the 60s, uh, read this book before I'd seen the film. Because, I don't know, I think that would, would have been interesting to see what um, images... It's a bit more of a creative process. You create the world kind of in your own head based on what the author said. Um Whereas once you've seen a film, the image, a lot of the images are kind of just stuck in your head, and you've you you envision it exactly how it is. And certainly, while I was reading this, I envisioned it exactly how I remember the film, <laughs> which I've seen a while ago, and um, was still quite vivid. So just the how it looked and stuff. Um, so yeah, I thought that was particularly interesting. But I definitely definitely recommend it. It's quite a short book. I 
don't know because because I had it an audiobook. I'm not sure how many pages it is actually. I might look it up. It's like a six hour audiobook, which I think most books are about eight or nine hours. So I'm guessing it's about two hundred pages. I would certainly recommend reading it. It's a great little accompaniment to the film. Like I say, maybe wait if you have seen the film recently. Maybe wait um, <laughs> to to read it because it's it is quite similar. But if you want to fill in a bit more detail about the film, then you could you know you could read this straight away afterwards. It's great. It, it's like I say, really well written. And I kind of want to read. I didn't realize there was actually some sequels. I don't know if there was any sequel films. I'm not sure, but there's uh, about three more books I think, which I'm probably gonna delve into at some point although maybe not straight away um but yeah i mean it's a classic story obviously anyway it's a very impressive that they were writing this some of the science in it is really impressive and quite um sort of forward looking (laughs) some of the stuff that is talked about in the film actually happens even though this is 60s um when this was made in fact um, the moon landing was 69 wasn't it and this is 68 was the discovery? Um, I don't know. I think Arthur Clarke. He does a little intro in the audiobook. Actually, he reads out the introduction himself that he wrote, which is great. Um, he's got another another person with a cracking voice, um, and he's alludes to the fact that the discovery spacecraft was named after the on this thing. But I can't. I'm not sure if he's joking <laughs> or if that actually was the case, because um, obviously it's called the discovery in the book. But yeah, it's really interesting. I would recommend giving it a read. And particularly if you get the audiobook version, at the minute it's two for one uh, in it. I got that and a tale for the time being, which I'm also thoroughly enjoying. Yeah, cool. Um, I, I have been into audiobooks in the past. I, I went through a period where I had an Audible membership for a while, and I know Nicola still has one. Um, and I'll definitely be getting one for the Alan Partridge podcast um, when that comes out uh, in September. Um I remember watching 2001 A Space Odyssey for the very first time uh, when we were at uni. And in fact, I was extremely hungover, had to be in a in a hall, basically, for 8am in the morning to watch it. And it blew me away, even in my very hungover state. I haven't read the book, um, but I know that Arthur C. Clarke has a very highly regarded sci-fi award named after him uh, for literature, so I'm going to assume... It's good, and I'm going to assume he's very good himself. Just on what you said on the Bob Dylan book, I haven't read Tarantula, but I've seen it on my parents' bookshelf, as you know, them being Dylan obsessives. Um, I think I might read that one eventually, even if, like you said, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Uh, but yeah, interest- interesting mad, reading. It's a mad, mad cap. Uh, hotchpotch kind of imagery just it's mad it's mad but it is um worth a read but in short bursts i'd say but the, the each of the little stories in tarantula is quite short so but again i'd re- really recommend um the audiobook version in particular i can't remember who reads it i'll have to look oh is it not dylan but he's no it's not dylan but it's a guy who has a similar sort of worn voice <laughs> you could absolutely imagine it being dylan um which yeah really right re- and he reads it in a way that I think suits the book really, really well. It's a very kind of energetic writing style and he puts that energy into the the reading of it, which is important. Um, I'm just going to find out who it is. um, Michael... Oh, it's Will Patton. I don't know if he does anything else, as in if he's an actor Hmm. or whatever. I recognise the name. Michael, um, are you familiar with Tarantula, for example? No, I've not read it. Um, Didn't really know about it till uh, that recently. 
Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, really. But no, I'm not. And I'm guessing you haven't listened to uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey or uh, read the book. But have you seen the film? Yeah, it's superb. Yeah, okay. I mean, Kubrick's one of my favourites. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What I, yeah, I think the only the only one of his big releases I haven't uh, seen is Barry Lyndon. I think. Mm, okay, I mean, Kubrick's one of these interesting directors where he's not, he, and this is unusual for me. He's not really an actor's director. Uh, you know, he gets some great performances out of people, but he's not. That's not his main focus, which is strange. No, he's a he's an artiste. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's interesting is potentially. Well, I'm sure you can clarify for this for uh, this for us, Clive. I think. With you having more of the thoughts of the characters in 2001, the book, um, it m- must feel like a very different experience. So, I think I'm gonna have to. I think I might have to read that. Yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting. Like, I can't remember actually. Like I was saying, with the difference there with the Harry Potter and stuff, is I can remember exactly what the characters look like. I can't actually remember what the characters were particularly were like because I've seen it that long ago. So the things that I put onto the Im- my imagery of it while I was reading listening to it was um was more the like what the spaceship looked like and all that stuff and gave it that and give and gave it a very 60s aesthetic whereas I think if I was reading it having not seen the film I'd imagine it as a more modern aesthetic do you know what I mean yeah <laughs> yeah the film's almost like a set of art installations and no yeah. we- no weaker for it but it, I mean to read it in a book form would be a lot different Mm-hmm. I mean, famously with 2001, um, the, I don't know what you call it, special effects Oscar or costume Oscar, um, went to Planet of the Apes the same year that 2001 was nominated. And Kubrick very famously says that um, they only won that award because the Oscar voters thought his monkeys were real. Um, such is the difference in the costume. I'm not sure if there's any basis in fact with that, but it's an interesting interesting thought I mean Planet of the Apes among apes do not look like apes <laughs> <laughs> cool um, right we're going to move on I'm going to break with tradition and I'm going to go second so Ooh. Michael you've got loads of time to think uh, I'm going <laughs> to or pressure whichever way you look at it um, I'm going to talk about a TV series that I've uh, I've just started so it's a mini series um, it's currently showing on Sky Atlantic or Now TV, if you've got that. Um, I'm halfway through, so I can't give a, a full review, so this won't be comprehensive, but um, I felt it was worth talking about anyway. Um, it's an adaptation of the novel by Wally Lamb called I Know This Much Is True. Um, star, it's got quite a you know an extensive cast starring mainly Mark Ruffalo, Melissa Leo, Juliette Lewis, Imogen Poots, Catherine Hayne, Archie Punjabi and Rosie O'Donnell. Um, it's set in the in the early to mid nineties and with in with some flashbacks uh, back to the late seventies and eighties um, about two twins called Dominic and Thomas. Uh, Dominic is a very normal kid; uh, he develops into a very normal man. Uh, but Thomas is very uh, mentally uh, challenged, and um, he suffers from psychotic breaks. And it's kind of their life together. Um, the the plot opens with Thomas uh, making a sacrifice in a public library. In a psychotic state, he believes that by chopping off his right hand, he will stop all wars. So it's a it's a dramatic and frankly very gory opening point. Um, 
What I found interesting about this, aside from the fact it's very well written and the performances are superb, um, is that it carries on a trend of novels being adapted for miniseries rather than films. Um, I think that's the way a lot of uh, these creations have gone in recent times. I mean, gone are the days when, you know, being made for TV was a snub, you know, or an afterthought. Um, It honestly seems to suit the novel often better than the big screen. Uh, I mean, you've you've had things like Normal People recently, very famously, or Sharp Objects, uh, both as mini-screens, you know, with all-star casts as well. Um, in a k- kind of classic body transformation um, role, Mark Ruffalo plays both brothers, obviously. Um, for, one, for one brother, he had to lose £15, and then to play the other one, he had to gain £30, so um, there's quite a difference and it there is it means makes a difference in his performance even from a physical perspective. Um, I haven't read the novel, so I can't really compare it to that, and I can't give me my overall thoughts. But I would say that this is a really good TV show, and it's part of a really pleasing trend, in my opinion. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'd still love to see uh, big screen adaptations of novels, and there are some that would suit the big screen better. Um, but. Honestly, I think the kind of visual novel is perfectly suited to a miniseries. My only fear is when something gets adapted and then gets a second season beyond the books, a la uh, Big Little Lies, which I also enjoyed. And has anybody else, well, has anyone even heard of this for a start? No, I haven't, no. Sounds interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Um, has anybody, so on the trend I'm talking about, has anybody watched a kind of a mini-series that they, they thought of as a good example? Um, I can't think of one, no. Oh. I've been in school, this. Well, <laughs> no, Michael, <laughs> in, in school you got all the answers right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you failed drastically here. Yeah. Yeah. An example of what exactly? Well, so, the example of a novel being adapted for TV... Um, you know, kind of a mini screen. Maybe, maybe I've taken all the good examples there and read them, or oh, maybe um, you just haven't seen <clears> them. Well, I've just finished um, oh, Little Fires Everywhere, which is a novel. Okay, well, there you go. Series, I, I think. Is that good, by the way? Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, I was probably going to talk about the next podcast because I've not thought about it massively, but um, yeah, definitely. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and it's, good, it's particularly pertinent now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, what was I, I'm trying to think of? I don't think there is any others that I can think of a novel into a series specifically. But I feel like there's something in my head that I've watched recently where I've been like, "That was." I suppose you could say for the first series of Handmaid's Tale, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an example of one that was continued, and I've enjoyed mm. the continuation. Whereas I don't think it's been done as well in other places, but. My, my point would be, anyway, that I think TV is the new home of the novel adaptation, or at least the, the major home. And, you know, being on TV is no longer Gruffalo in this. Um, the director and showrunner on this, by the way, is... I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Uh, Derek Cienfrance, um, more famous for Blue Valentine, and the very underrated, in my opinion, uh, The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, so if you're looking for kind of an example of his work... That would be uh, the best examples. I think you quite enjoyed that. We 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 saw that together, didn't we, Michael? Uh, the place beyond the pines. Yeah, I don't think it comes up very often. People talk yeah, about kind of film, better actually. films of the yeah. last well ten fifteen years, and I mean, I'd like. Yeah, yeah it seems to work. 
It's got a good cast as well. Very yeah. good cast. Which makes it more okay, surprising cool. that it doesn't get um, mentioned. That's all I've got to say on that. I would recommend it, particularly if you are looking for a TV show where you don't have to commit yourself for, you know, seven or eight seasons or what have you. What have you. Yeah. Um, let's go to Eagles Cliff. Uh, Michael Johnson, what have you got for us? Well, I thought I'd take a bit of a different approach by just uh, talking about some of the albums I listened to yesterday. Listen to Fall Together, so uh, just a, another grab bag of thoughts about that. Um, quite a diversity of albums, which may not surprise you. Um, so starting off with uh, Beneath the Remains by Sepultura, the Brazilian thrash metal band. Um, their album released in 1989. And uh, this is one of the premier albums of the thrash metal genre. Uh, it's one of the... I mean, obviously, if you were going to rank the very best thrash metal albums, then it's going to be dominated by the big four from the Bay Area, undoubtedly. Uh, but this is one of those albums from another act that would sneak in there, uh, for sure. It's uh, masterfully constructed, and there's no wasted riff in there, and there's plenty of them. So it's it's um, it's really an archetypal um sort of thrash metal album so yeah um and anyone who's interested in metal and thrash in particular should hear this uh after that i moved on to um electric circus by the rapper common released in 2002 it's a very interesting album within the context of his wider discography which is quite sizable at this point um it's i mean it's it it I think it proves that hip-hop and R&B today are in very strong health by the fact that when this album was first released, it had a, a mixed reception and in some some areas a poor reception, which is quite surprising to me because it is a very ambitious album. Uh, some of the tracks are very long. They're not um, structured like uh, hip-hop traditionally was then uh, in the mainstream and otherwise. And a lot was made of that. Uh, it's got a very progressive tendency uh, but these things feel normal now. Uh, I don't think there's, you know, after after the likes of Kanye, Kendrick, and Drake, I don't think there are many artists would hesitate to put a long song that doesn't resemble uh, a traditional hip hop track on a on a hip hop out al- what can broadly be called a hip hop album, and which is what Common does with tracks like uh, Jimmy Was a Rock Star about Jimi Hendrix and uh, Heaven Somewhere at the back end of this album. Uh, musically the whole album is it's more it's more rooted in uh electronic music and rock music elements as well than most hip hop was back then so i guess you could say it's visionary in some senses um it's also it's also um a who's who of neo soul around about the turn of the century um so it's got guest appearances from Erica Badu and Bilal uh, truly vital artists of that time. It's spearheaded in terms of its um, creative force and production by the Roots drummer Questlove, who was at the centre of um, Neo Soul at the time. Um, basically, when Electric Lady Studios in New York City was the epicentre of uh, of black music in America, and Jay Dilla produces some of his most intriguing. He's a legendary hip hop producer. He produces some of his most intriguing stuff on this album. Uh, that doesn't sound a lot like um, some of the other stuff he did. Which, uh, even though he he was a fairly diverse producer, um, some of his most unique stuff is on on this particular album. Um, the Neptunes produced a couple of tracks as well. I mean, this this was around the time when they were really 
they were really at their creative peak as well with the production they did them i mean for a variety of artists but most notably clips and um and also some of their own uh, production on their own work um and i really love the track i got a right to featuring pharrell on this album it's a quite an underrated track i think um and we haven't really seen anything i think we haven't really seen a movement quite the same even though uh, black american music has been so strong um really in especially in the last decade i think uh, i think the only thing i can really compare to it is the collaborationist projects between flying lotus kendrick lamar and thundercat coming out of the west coast but neo soul around that time was a much wider movement uh, and a very exciting one which eventually fizzled out as these things tend to but this is a, this, it's a very long but very rewarding album and it st- shocks me when you go back to it to, to think that it was so divisive back then um, but it just shows how how music has changed i think in uh, in a lot of very good ways since then uh, then I went back to something heavier after that, so uh, I was listening to We Are The Romans by the Washington State metalcore band Botch. Have you ever listened to Botch before, Clive? I, mean, I haven't, no. I don't think I've even heard of him. Right, yeah, well, that that's um, that's what I thought you might say, cause, and it kind of proves what I was going to say, which is that along with, most notably, Converge and also the Dillinger Escape Plan, they're also, they're, they're really like the forgotten band of metalcore. Um, and well, they released two albums. Uh, this We Are the Romans being the second released in 1999 before they split. But this is an absolutely quintessential um, metalcore um, hardcore album. Um, that I mean, that really summarises it. It's essential listening. Uh, there's there's not as many albums within the genre as Towering as it. Uh, the, the track Man the Ramparts is its most legendary, the one from which the album draws its its title. Uh, and it's an absurdly epic track, powered by some uh, some massive riffs and a chanting section. And um, lyrically, the album focuses a lot on uh, the atroc- some of the themes of the atrocity exhibition by our our friend from lockdown, J.G. Ballard. Um, in a way that, in a typically intellectual way, that was that was normal, really, in the genre. Uh, during its heyday, so yeah, it's interesting that Botch. I don't know if it's because they sp- they split quite quickly, but they they tend to get forgotten within the annals of the of the genre and the su- other subgenre at least. So uh, they're always worth revisiting and remembering. Uh, after that, they they split into various projects, which tended to be a lot tended to go in much less heavy directions. Uh, so I guess it's a, a bit of an anticlimax, really, but it's a very fitting album on which to go out. Uh, and the the fourth album I listened to was one that I know I mentioned two or three podcasts ago. I haven't been able to stop listening to it since. It's a release from this year, uh, Sawayama by Rina Sawayama, the um, British-Japanese songwriter with her debut album. Um, and as I said at the time, even when I'd only listened to it a couple of times, it's an outstanding pop album. It's going to be right up there at the end of the year for me, I think. And I've got to give special mention to the track Tokyo Love Hotel, which is... Uh, definitely my favourite on the record and which I listened to about 20 times in a row one morning a few weeks ago um, <laughs> I love it when that happens yeah I mean there's, not, there's nothing particularly innovative about it, it's just a superb pop song uh, but some of the other tracks, on some of the other big tracks from the album um, like Excess which is a, a, a sort of satire of uh, capitalist consumption and uh, Shut the Fuck Up which is 
uh, topically about microaggressions against Asian people. Uh, they're the, they're, they are truly interesting tracks, which, as I mentioned before, incorporate elements of new metal, which, um, although they're not entirely a new metal band, um, this this whole critical reevaluation of new metal seems to be starting to take some take up uh, take some speed up now, and uh, it is spearheaded by um, well the band I was referring to, their Deftones, who are really uh, receiving a lot of critical attention at the moment, which is interesting because they haven't released an album for four years, but they have done their best work in the last ten years, in my opinion, and it's the it's the twentieth anniversary of their album White Pony, that's why they're currently getting so much buzz, at least among music writers, if nobody else. Uh, so the only other thing I wanted to mention about um, Sawayama is that it's just one. It seems like this this year I would have thought it would have had a, a negative effect on uh, music releases, but so far we there's been an absolutely astounding amount of interesting releases, and there's more to come. Uh, and I just I know usually this is the sort of thing I find myself saying at the end of the year, but it seems like there's no let up this year in terms of the number of releases I want to hear. So it's all very exciting, really. Fantastic. Um, Michael, I don't really have too much of a question music-wise, but do you think we'll ever go through a podcast again without mentioning J.G. Ballard? No. <laughs> and it's, I can't even just say it's you, it's me as well. Um, apparently his influence is everywhere, regardless of whether... I mean, I'm, I'm not disputing it's not in this case, but are we seeing J.G. Ballard, you know, in every corner? Is he like the, the kind of boogeyman of pop culture? <laughs> it's kind of like that, yeah. Well, Seems to be, doesn't it? I'll just be a second. Oh, oh Michael's going. going for his Amazon delivery. Um, shall we, Clive, let's... Should we act out what's happening at the door since he can't take his mic with him? Yeah, okay. You, you play Michael Johnson, I'll play his uh, delivery driver. Uh, 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 all right. So I've knocked on the door there. Oh, hello. Uh, Mr. Johnson, I've got your... Uh, your special, uh, your special delivery here. All right, yeah. I'll be. Uh, you can't sign for it under these circumstances. I'm back. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Just um, all I'll say, Mister Johnson, is please use water-based lubricants, or you will damage the rubber. All oh, right. Okay. Okay. I'll make sure I do that. <laughs> here we, here we anyway. Don't don't let that be the title uh, of this podcast. <laughs> I think that's already being used. Um, no, I was uh, to finish my point. Uh, obviously, it's it's just a it sums up how um, you know how well to use. I'm going to have to use the word again. I can't think of a better one. Visionary Ballard's writing was, doesn't it, about um, about the the conditions we live in today, um, and that have been just accelerated by everything that's gone on in recent months. And there's no doubt he was mentioned more than any other writer during the first weeks or month or so of lockdown. But it's not just that, you know, we do see his commentary on things everywhere we look, basically, um, even before this. And I'm sure that'll continue. What I find interesting is I haven't really actually read that much of his work, but I know of his influence yeah. in, a, in a far greater way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I haven't actually. In fact, it's, I think it's just the Atrocity exhibition, but obviously I've seen the adaptations of High Rise and Crash. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm familiar with the themes, but I could be a lot more so. Yeah, for sure. Clive, were you familiar with any of the albums Michael was discussing? Um, I've Sawyer Armour's on my list, um, and bloody stupid 60s challenge has taken over my time still. 
so I haven't listened to that much new stuff. Um, oh, well, it's, it's, it, a very, it's a very noble reason. I'm enjoying the, uh, the albums, the, <laughs> the 60s articles. Good to hear. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna, I think I might take a bit of a, you know, catch up a few and write some reviews on uh, some newer ones. Um, yeah. That one is on the list. Um, it's funny that you mentioned one of the ones I've been really enjoying is Charlie XCX. Uh, how I'm feeling now, which I think was written exclusively in lockdown. So just yeah, interesting well, that, on that point that you've mentioned there, <laughs> Michael. Yeah, well, I haven't heard that yet, and I definitely want to because I've actually it's I've only recently listened to her album Charlie from last year, which is absolutely superb, and it might have troubled my top five last year if I'd heard it at the time. Uh, this is the thing, obviously, what we hear and what we're listening to is such is so, so dynamic. So we can't always be definitive when we rank things at the end of a year, can we? Uh, but yeah, I definitely want to hear that album because she's one of the most exciting writers uh, in pop at the moment, I think. Michael, have you listened to Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona, Fiona Apple yet? No, I'm waiting for it to come out on CD, which is next month. Is it? Mm. Right, okay. so Again, I've it got yet. it and still haven't got got around to it, but I'm excited too because obviously... Yeah, it's just another, one, just another one from this year and then I'll wait for the, the new Run the Jewels album to come out on CD, which I think is going to be later in the year. And uh, the whole thing might be headlined for me by the new Everything Everything album. Um, an underrated band who don't get talked about a lot, in my experience, uh, but are one of Britain's finest right now. Uh, new album coming out in August, and all the tracks I've heard from it so far are stupendous. So sounds like it's going to be even more of an electronic feel than they typically write with. Um, but they're, they're a very singular band. Cool. Um, I mean, I, I'll i be honest, I've not listened to anything else by Fiona Apple, but um, I only really listened to this because you mentioned it had the perfect... Was it the perfect Pitchfork rating? It did, yeah. yeah. It got famously, yeah. yeah. Um, um, worth mentioning. It, it, Sorry, go on. It is super. It is superb, by the way, and it's 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 very um, theatrical. It's very cutting, but it's also quite intimate. And she she has a style all of her own. Um, and it makes me wonder why women just don't eat us, you know, or just kill us all. <laughs> um, but uh, there you go. Yeah, that sounds powerful. <laughs> I know, uh, I know Clive already uh, knows this, but worth noting, of course, that Bob Dylan's new album scooped a nine on Pitchfork, which is highly, highly interesting score. Yeah, I've only listened to it once, so I'm not going to... But I'm, I'll, as, you, as you can expect, I'll be reviewing that one in depth in the future, hopefully next week. Um, it thoroughly enjoyed my first listen, and yeah, I was not expecting it to get a nine, because I feel like it's become a bit fashionable to not necessarily pan Dylan, but at least give him like an average score. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, is is I uh, I didn't know. I never knew if that was reflective of the music or not because I've even though I should have, I've never been inspired to check out much of his recent stuff, and that's not really because of that. It's more because I love Time Out of Mind, but as as acclaimed as Love and Theft was, it didn't really hit for me. Or not the last time I listened to it, and Modern Times as well. I, I thought was it started a bit of a slippage, even though it's more of a it's more of an album of covers of traditional tracks really and i didn't really check anything out after that but this album seems to be getting widespread praise so very interesting yeah it's i mean style like the style of the instrumentation is similar to modern times i guess although it's a bit more interesting um but yeah lyrically he's on, he's on form again um so yeah great stuff i mean i'm the same like i like the modern times and stuff love and theft but I wouldn't put them up there with his best, obviously. Whereas time out of my own, I absolutely would. 
Yeah, um, and, well, I know Dylan himself doesn't, but Time Out of Mind is um, a very evocative album. It's and he hated the production apparently, but I think it's brilliant. I don't know. So obviously not what he was shooting for, but I think it's got a, a definite mood to it. Yeah, it's very well. It's quite um, singular. Yeah, like um, Lenoig absolutely thins out Dylan's voice. Uh, yeah, massively on it, but I think it works really well. Um, and yeah, he's added so much stuff in the background, which is what Lenoig does in it, but. <laughs> Is all about having hundred million things going on, but in a in a gentle way rather than necessarily overpowering. Um, and I really like him; he's one of my favourite producers. But I think he's done. Yeah, I think it sounds it sounds really good, and also it's lyrically really really strong. So I find um, that with the, with his Dylan's newest stuff, it's less you have to pay attention a bit more to the lyrics because of his vocal style doesn't necessarily like demand attention mm. as much as say his uh, blonde on blonde highway 61 days did where i think it absolutely that's exactly what the vocal style is doing <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of impossible not to listen to the lyrics on those albums whereas these ones are a little little bit more gently melodic and a little bit more relaxed it can be easy yeah. to just kind of put it on and think about something else and not pay attention but yeah that's a good point that yeah him. I think I mean I think I think even to Dylan it must feel like those albums from the 60s were written by a different person. I mean it it must be a really <laughs> strange thing because nobody has really scaled those heights to the same extent and uh he's spoken I know he's spoken about how he can't write a song like that anymore which is understandable because that happens to all artists but it must be a strange experience. Mm. And I mean they embody so much like it's a very young I don't know, they're very young person's albums in a weird way. Yeah. Um, you can imagine an old person wouldn't be, just wouldn't be able to write them. <laughs> yeah, the sheer energy of them. They're like, yeah, they're exactly. just, you know, they're just, they just glow, don't they? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm excited to um, check it out more in depth this week. So, Yeah, great. We, I'd like to hear we, it at some point. Yeah, And I would like to hear Clive's review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, Clive, did you have anything else that you wish to discuss today? Um, <clears throat> no, I mean I was going to save little fires everywhere till next week, but maybe I'll talk about Dylan instead. Um, things I haven't really prepped anything, but well, don't, we've got... don't feel forced to. It's up to you. Um, no, let, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Uh, go we've for only it. Got four, we've only been forty minutes. Um, yeah, so. Obviously, it's based on the book Little Fires Everywhere by, I believe it's Celeste. I don't know how to pronounce her surname. It's N, just NG, her surname. Um, so I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. Um, who is an American author. Um, I only realised this last night when I looked it up after watching it. It's essentially about uh, this neighbourhood called Shaker Heights in America, in Ohio specifically. This kind of, you know, one of those classic uh, American, everything's a bit perfect, but, you know we've all watched films and tv shows you know that there's something sinister going on in the background um and essentially my moves in with her daughter pearl um into like a second home owned by someone super rich in the neighborhood uh, like a super rich white family uh, kind of perfect from the outside and um my and pearl are both black african-american specifically and they it's just it's kind of a battle between the two mothers but uh, the 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 series starts essentially with the house um with what's it it's Reese Witherspoon who plays the main um woman in the white household the big rich one and i've forgotten a bloody name oh Hel- eleanor i think it's either it's either eleanor or helena and i can't remember which but it doesn't really matter um 
But yeah, I can't remember what the point I was making. This is why I should uh, prepare my reviews now. <laughs> uh, what? You're doing well, you're doing well. Keep... Don't say that. Um, Don't can... lose faith. <laughs> good, good. Um, so yeah, it starts off with her house burning down. Her massive house is burning down. And they say like, um, oh, it, it's Izzy. It must have been Izzy, uh, who's one of her daughters, who's a bit of a rebel. Um, and then basically it goes back in time and it's, the whole series is essentially about building to the point of finding out who who burnt the house down. Um, but it's essentially these two families clashing very much in that there's a very... I mean, Helena's just like the most te- horrid character. Like she's... Which maybe is one of my criticisms of it. It's hard to believe that someone could be that shitty, but I mean, maybe they could. Um, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Um, just a complete lack of any knowledge of like uh, how privileged she is um you know she thinks she's not racist because she went to a um you know she's been to one of martin luther king's marches which she mentions every time um her daughter brings back her black boyfriend um one of those uh but you just you know in the background just has some just says some stuff where you're just like jesus christ i mean it's particularly fitting at this moment and um, there's some things she says where it's just like, oh my god, that's horrendous. There's one particular bit where she uh, praises her daughter about going to Yale, um, and the whole minute speech has just made me want to punch the screen. Um, so Reese Witherspoon, if that's what she's trying to achieve, uh, plays that very well. Um, and yeah, it's just an interesting look at, I guess, class, privilege, race in in America, I guess, and just some other undertones of the weird, we how weird society is in America, and kind of. And rebelling against it, and where, where that leaves you, and rebelling against it as a, a white person, and rebelling against it as a black person, and the differences in that, and all those kinds of things. Um, so it definitely covers a lot in its in its uh, sort of. Eight, it's only eight episodes. It's a, I guess it's class. It's classed as a mini series, which I don't think it would be in 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 England. It would just be called a series, but <laughs> but it'd it be a long to... series. <laughs> it does everything. Everything in this country is six episodes, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've watched a few here that were eight, I thought, but maybe I'm getting that wrong. Um, it always used to be six, but I think now it's yeah. a bit more open. Mm. It just depends. But anyway, yeah, I just I found it funny when it was described as a mini-series, because they're an hour each and eight episodes, which to me, you know, that, that's a series. Um, and yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting. It's not, I don't think it's perfect. There's some, um, like, one of the actresses who plays Mai in her youth is, an, is a bit annoying. She's got, like, overly overly expressive face. <laughs> Syndrome. Um Syndrome. which which didn't link in which I think would have been fine, but doesn't doesn't match up very well with her older counterpart at all because they're all um Mai's the actress, I need to look up her name, um plays her with a very she's quite a stern woman who doesn't uh, have <laughs> a particularly express particularly expressive facial expressions. Um and it just it just was a, there's a bit of a disconnect, particularly with how they were being portrayed in the same episode, you'd see both of them. Uh, it just didn't work that well on that front but i mean that's a it's a nitpick and to be fair it's a nitpick i probably wouldn't have noticed unless l mentioned it but you know sometimes someone mentions something and then you can't unsee it it yeah, was one of them very much so. <laughs> i don't think i'd have seen it but once i'd seen it i couldn't unsee it um but yeah i'd absolutely recommend watching it uh, my thoughts on it aren't as in-depth as they probably would be if i'd uh, pre- prepped something but a, a very good yeah, it's full of great performances, and it's only eight episodes long, so I'd, I'd highly recommend it. And like I say, it does I think it would be a really interesting one to for everyone to watch and then discuss at the end because um, mm. it has a lot of 
it crams in a lot of themes into its uh, into its you know mini series <laughs> format and asks a lot of questions and does cover covers race in a quite an interesting way i think um certainly more interesting than i've often seen it covered and covers a bit more of the undertones of the not obvious well racism's just calling someone you know the n-word um and the more systematic more structural yeah more structural and even or institutional institutional and the, just the types that, that people seem to think don't exist for somebody yes can't exactly see yeah. that, that that's exactly it yeah <laughs> It covers those in more in in an interesting manner, um, which which I thought was good, and it, like I say, particularly pertinent right now. So I think it's a good program that um, think, I'd recommend. I think when I saw an advert for it, it reminded me a bit of um, well, show I mentioned earlier, Big Little Lies, which also starred Reese with a spoon, kind of suburban America. Does she also play Afl- a massive shit? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say she's no. She's a little bit of a shit, but I wouldn't say she's a horrible person in Big Little Lies. Um, Big Little Lies is more about kind of misogyny, domestic abuse than it is about race. But um, they'd make—I think they'd make an interesting double bill. I mean, can you do a double bill of TV shows? I don't know, but um, let's say you can. Yeah. So I mean, I haven't seen this one obviously, but I was planning to. I think Nicola might have watched it already, but um, you, you've put it near the top of my list anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, like I said, I don't think I don't think it is perfect, but I think it involves it throws out enough interesting points to make it worth watching, and it's it's got some really good things in it. It had to, I can't quite put my finger on, which is I need to think a bit more about why it's not. <laughs> why I didn't think it was perfect or you know amazing. I think it maybe just maybe it crammed a little bit too much in. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but we have a, a think about that a bit more. But it's certainly certainly worth watching and. Like I say, it covers some very interesting themes at the moment. So, cool, excellent. Michael Johnson, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, not massively. I'll mention a couple of things. First of all, just a correction. I realised that earlier I said ar- archetypal. It's actually archetypal, isn't it? Did you? Uh, I, I, did I thought you said that, it right. Okay. No, I didn't notice that. Oh, either. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, just get that correction in. Um, I haven't really started watching anything on TV properly since I finished Mad Men, kind of having a break after that. Um, but I did see that the, the new season of Rick and Morty has already been added to Netflix, so I'll definitely be getting into that, um, alongside having started Bojack Horseman. But I did start watching Last Chance You last week, uh, inspired by some of the things Alex talked about on the last podcast. And it is, of course, gripping. Although I've only watched I've only watched four so far, but um, you know it's it's basically sports porn, isn't it? Um, but it's, <laughs> yeah, and and like all the best uh, sports documentaries, it cover, it's covering a lot more issues than that, even if it doesn't explicitly do so. Uh, it's touching on a lot of things, uh, and it, I don't think there could be a better state in the U.S. to set it in than Mississippi. You know, uh, in that respect, some of the societal issues it it might be looking at. Um, and I know it changes focus halfway through the show. I think in the after a couple of seasons, but uh, I don't know how it's going to develop. But it's a very interesting show, and I just love watching. Netflix has got some great sports content. I think we have to say um, might not be the first thing we think of when we think of Netflix, but uh, they've really got uh, they've really got that down for people who want to see that sort of thing. 
Yeah, La- La- Last Chance You is my favourite sports documentary series. Like, I know everybody's high on um, The Last Dance, and so am I, but I, I th- personally think this is better. Um, on this note as well, you know the film you mentioned uh, last pod, um, Al, Next Goal Wins? Uh, Next Goal Wins, yeah. Uh, we're going to watch it tonight, but it's on um, it's on offer on iTunes for 99p at the minute for anyone else. Sweet. Uh, cool. Hopefully by the time I release this, it still is. But <laughs> yeah, that, We're going to watch it tonight, so I'm just uh, right. downloading it. I'm, I'm excited. Looking- I hope you like it as much as I did. I'm pretty sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it feels like, I mean, obviously there'll be more planning goes into it than this, but it sometimes feels like these documentary crews rock up anywhere and they can make a great show out of it. And I, I, lo- I love that that mm. quality in a show. That's kind of how, obviously, um, the uh, East Mississippi program in Last Chance Year is a very successful one. So it's not like they've just turned up anywhere, you know. Um, but you've still got to make storylines out of it. I always think it could be that you get there and there's nothing, you know. That must be a nightmare. Um, yeah. But you know, that's that's the from a romantic perspective. That's the that's what interests me about these sort of shows. It's it's actually yeah, it's a good point, and I think actually there are there are interesting stories everywhere. That's the point. Um, yeah, that's really yeah, the point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it, if it is, a, it must be a skill bringing them out. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. Um, yeah. And, and realizing what the interesting parts are and what aren't the interesting points. But yeah, some of them, my favorite documentaries are ones that are about things that you'd think that doesn't sound very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it just puts you in a place that I think what's great is, and films can do this too, like sort of hyper real realistic films put you in a place that you never seen before, and or a, a type of life that you've never experienced, or you know. Yeah. That kind of thing, um, and a great example is I, I've reviewed it on the podcast. I think it was either a Hungarian or Bulgarian film. What was it? I don't know if I'm going to be able to find out. I'll see if I carry on talking. I'll see is, if I can find. Is that West? Was that Western? Um, is that the film you meant? No, it's not. No, although that is. Um, I need to. I don't think I've seen that. But I want to. It's on my list. Okay. It was about a kid uh, growing up as a, um, I think, as like a Roma traveller in. Possibly Italy, I can't remember. I'm going to look it up. But it was exactly like that. Like it was a film, but it was hyper realistic, and it just put you into that environment, which I would have absolutely no clue about. <laughs> and I find that fascinating. And maybe like the story itself doesn't necessarily have anything, any major. If you just read out the story, you think, oh, there's not really much happening. But it's super interesting because it's so different. I think you could. Well, yeah, I mean, you, oh, well, I was going to say, I think you could. Just for example, I think you could turn up at my workplace. Do you know what I mean? And make mm. if you combined it with interviews uh, with people, you could make probably an interesting documentary because you've got all these ca- you've got all these personalities and character dynamics, but they're not always they're not always that spoken or explicit. They're you know they're bubbling under the surface. And but I think that's where you get into a question of where with some of these shows, to what extent does a documentary crew influence things that then happen? You know, do they mm, do they yeah. cause things to speed up and happen to a more exaggerated extent than they would have? And that's what's fascinating about it. Well, there's definitely levels to that because you get these kind of quote unquote you know reality TV shows like yeah. you know Keeping Up the Kardashians, which are not there's nothing really real about them at all. They're all stage scenes. Yeah. Um, almost set with dialogue but then you've got a series like last chance you where they are just filming they aren't asking them to do anything other than obviously a few face-to-face camera interviews but um but like you said just by being there just by 
Well, um, you know, having yeah. a camera on them. Well, yeah, we act differently. We're differently, aren't we, on camera? Like, I, I remember I saw a motivational quote once from Joe Rogan that was like, "Live your whole life as if a camera crew's watching you," and that would change your behaviour. So that's why it works. It sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> exactly, um, I don't exactly. want to be switched on that much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm just going to talk about one last thing quite uh, shortly. It's, it's a recommendation as much as anything. Um, I had this one thrust upon me by a friend, um, uh, friend Nick Watson. Um, <laughs> now, the reason I, I, I was, I kind of resisted this for a while because I, instinctively, if someone overdoes it with their recommendation, just keeps going, have you watched it? Have you watched it? Have you watched it? The answer is definitely no. And I'm going to continue not watching it. Well, that is very much Nick's style, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's not wrong. This is excellent. It's a. Uh, comedy series on BBC it's broadcasting at the moment called What We Do in the Shadows it's kind of an adaptation slash continuation of the 2014 film um, made by Jermaine Clement more famous for um, Flight of the Concords and also I believe Taika Watiti has a strong influence so it's set in Staten Island, New York although the, the humour is very much in the New Zealand vein um, stars Kyvan Novak, who people will know from Four Lions Legend. and yeah, <laughs> and The Day Shall Come. Stars Matt Berry, who people will know from a whole heap of things, most prominently Toast of London. Another legend. Uh, <laughs> Nastasia Demetriou, you might not know her, but she is also a legend. <laughs> um, Harvey Gwillen, uh, I don't know if he's a legend, but he's very good in this. And Mark Prosk. Um, it's a mockumentary style uh, set with a brood of vampires um, who live in Staten Island and don't really do a lot. Um, it's, I mean, the documentary style is barely believable. I'll put that out there to start with, as good as this is. The idea that somebody would be filming this and <laughs> would let it go. But um, the humour is absolutely hilarious. And if, if you do like the style of humour, for example, of Flight of the Concords, this one will sit with you. Matt Berry is playing Matt Berry again. I mean, does he ever play anybody else? But that doesn't really matter. He's so naturally funny. Um, he has a, you know, un... What's the word I'm looking for? Well, purely original voice, anyway, that nobody else could mimic. Um, and the vampires in question, three of them are normal vampires. One of them is their, what's called their familiar who is essentially their manservant. Uh, the fourth uh, the fourth vampire is called Colin Robinson. He's he's a bit different. He's an energy vampire. Uh, so essentially, he doesn't feed on blood. He fe- feeds on bad feelings and awkwardness. Uh, so he's a very buttoned-down Ned Flanders type who will come up and talk to you about things you don't want to be talking to. He'll kill the atmosphere. He'll troll comments online. Um I've got to say, one of the most genius creations I've ever seen. Um, and probably the most diabolical of the lot of them. Um, all, this, all, the, uh, all the episodes, both seasons, are available on iPlayer. Uh, do yourself a favour, it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to have to answer the door, just bear with me one second. Oh, yeah. oh this is a theme, isn't it? Get, unaccept- get your own unacceptable. God's sake. Um, while you were gone, Michael, we tried to reenact you getting a parcel from the postman. You might have uh, realised that. But no, well, I just I just came back to that comment, didn't I? So. Yeah, you came back and got you cut it off halfway. <laughs> Damn. 
I can't find out what this film is. Um, I usually like very anal about cataloging what I've watched, but apparently I've missed this. Right. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it in time. If I knew which year it came out, that'd be handy. But I don't think I do. Quite recent, though, was it? I think it was either 2019 or 2018. Yeah. But uh, I'm coming up blank with my searches. <laughs> Um, actually, Roma probably fits in that category of being a film that puts you into a environment that feels very real, but isn't mm. one that you know. Have you seen Roma? No, never seen it, actually. Um, should have, really, the amount of cl- acclaim it got. Mm, yeah, it's great. Although it's one of those that gets mixed. Some people are like, oh, I don't understand why people say it's so great, it's boring. Well, right. I, um, they don't, they don't always say it in that accent, and I'm not saying everyone who speaks in that accent is like that. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. Um, yeah, I'm not going to find it. Well, this is a long... Who's, who's knocking on Hell's door? I know, I'm what the hell is he getting delivered? Yeah, at least you. Yours was quick. Like, bam, CDs, see ya. Yeah, don't mess about. <laughs> um, do you know what I'm actually picturing now? <laughs> what? I'm picturing that as he did it, he, a cat ran out, and now he's like chasing a, his cat down the street. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> that sounds about right. This would be the weirdest ending of a podcast ever if he just didn't return. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, what the we hell were... was that? <laughs> um, we had people over last night. They came back to get their car, so I had to, uh, you know. The the meet and greets uh, as quickly as I could. That wasn't quick enough, to be honest. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were waiting a while. Well, I'm I'm, in, I mean, there's a I'm interested to see what you fill that with. I was. Yeah. Um, oh well, I won't I won't spoil it then. I was about to. I'll let you find out. <laughs> okay. It's got got to stay in, Clive. It's got to stay. In. Yeah. Well, we'll leave your one in. You can leave my one in as well. <laughs> yeah. Clive, maybe next maybe next week you can do the same, and me and Mike. Hang on. There's still t- there's still time in this one. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see it happening. I've got uh, Elle's downstairs, so if anyone knocks, she's dealing with it. Although there was that incident with the background podcast, so... <laughs> the so background we, we, stick around podcast. We've all done it, really. Yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where we got to, but I, I think I pretty much finished my opinion on I was, uh, what we do in the show. I was just about to add that it's weird that I haven't uh, watched this, actually, because I went through a period where I would just watch literally anything Matt Berry had ever been in. And and that was how I ended up watching. Well, I mean, Toast of London's brilliant. I would have watched House of Fills anyway, uh, but uh, it's certainly how I ended up watching Snuffbox, which is quite a unique comedy. It, yeah, it's it's outstanding, honestly. And Matt Berry might not be the best thing in it, and that's barely believable, but mm-hmm. it might be true. Uh, and Kevin Novak is probably not the best thing in it. Mark Prox, I don't know how you pronounce it, as Colin Robinson, genius creation. Because we've all met energy vampires, haven't we? You know, the type of people you be at a party will start talking <coughs> to you about some factor that you didn't need to know in detail, you know. Oh, I'm really into my uh, motorbikes, I've got a uh, G60. Um, energy you know. vampires, have you coined that? <laughs> no, no, no that, that's in the show. That's in the that's show, the I wasn't that's, sure. Right. That's what you <laughs> I just love, um, there's something about Kiwi humour which is just absolutely my humour. I've never watched anything with Kiwi humour that I haven't enjoyed. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, nobody in this is Kiwi, but, you know, you can tell it's been written that mm. way. Still, 
it's kind of like it, it, it's very non-mean you know it's very it, it's nice humor while still being you know intelligent and not you know it, it's not diluted at all it's yeah i can't describe it adequately but it's it's the type of humor where, which is never punching down on anybody um but is you know will get you gutter laughing um yeah my lord I didn't realise how long I was outside. Would you look at that time? Oh, hang on. Let me just... Before we do that, is there a queef? Um, shit, I don't think there is, actually. Um, I, I think I can pull one out of the bag, though, hang on, because there's an old one. Backup queefs. <laughs> backup there's backup queef, yeah. <laughs> He's got that much queef, it's just endless. Um, it's going to be a bit tricky to find, though. Right, here we go. A recommendation I would endorse every day of the week is to listen to the Sleaford Mods. I've recently heard a 2007 version of their hit Job Seeker featuring a sample of For Your Love by the Yardbirds. Described as jazzy by Clive Fisher, it's very different to the 2008 release, but equally as great. Similarly, the Rolling Stones album Let It Bleed contains the song Country Honk, the original countryfied version of what became their 1971 banger Honky Tonk Women. So, in summary, Sleaford Mods are one of the best and most relevant music acts in the world right now. And Honky Tonk Women is one of the best songs ever recorded. I heartily agree. Amazing. Although I haven't heard, I, I haven't heard the, the song in particular he's talking about with the sampled that, version. That is, it's, a, it's a banger, that version of Job Seeker. I mean, you're never going to beat the original, even though it's older than the original. But uh, it's, uh, it's slamming. <laughs> well, I I actually actually listened. Well, I didn't listen. I watched the the Jules Holland performance that made them famous last night of Job Seeker. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was where it all started. As I've said many times, it was that performance yeah. that hooked me, and I watched it about ten times the night I saw it. So good, <laughs> unbelievable. Well, it's the I way ain't he got says no exterminate on that without in particular is fabulous. <laughs> yeah, these people need exterminating. <laughs> I just I'm always disappointed on the studio version that it doesn't have some of yeah some of the ad libs he does on that version like it is the it's the definitive version for me which is probably quite unusual for a live performance. Well, he's I mean he and I forget the name of the other bloke and that's bad actually considering there are only Andrew. two of them Jason Williamson, Andrew what's Fern? his name is it I'm yeah. It yeah yeah it is right. I mean, they are an outstanding double act, and there's nothing else like them. It actually, isn't you know we say that sometimes, and it's a lie, but not in this case. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, come back next week for more queefs. Um, I believe you need to plug something, Clive. Do I? Okay, I'm going to do it in a Jason Williamson sort of um, exterminate <laughs> voice. Yes. Oh, for- we could do this. We could do this, by the way. Uh, we're going to set you one every week from now on. That's a new tradition. So you're starting as Jason Williamson this week. Oh, God. I feel like I need to prepare this. I was just going to do the plug time bit, but I'll try and... Oh, God. Okay. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> do we need Do we need some sort of... It's going to be horrendous because I haven't prepared it, whereas it might improve next week. Uh, do we need some sort of knuckle-dragging bass line under this? Yeah. <laughs> that would... Oh, that would be so good. I wish <laughs> I could <laughs> <produce> <laughs> <some>. <laughs> Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> plug should... time. Oh. That wasn't. That was um, a bit. I don't know. Um, plug time. 
Get on fucking at Stick Around Cast <laughs> on the Twitter. You can see it there. Fuck the Tories. Get on <laughs> slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook. It's a regurgitated feed of vomit. <laughs> Some random noises. Um, get on stickaroundpodcast.com. You can read about articles. Fuck the Tories again. Read about more articles. Fuck austerity. Cunt. Um, read, you can read about the best album from 1967. There's some great stuff there, but it's not as good as the mods. But luckily, it's not from the fucking idols, the wankers. All that knobhead <laughs> from the 1975, the silly cunt. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Head on over to stickaroundpodcast.com. You can read from Alex Wayne, top lad. Michael Johnson, also a top lad. Me, Jason Williamson, fucking top lad. Get on Instagram. You can watch me baking in an apron and fuck all else. Yeah. And it's quite erotic. Ooh. <laughs> um, oh, email us. Send, it, send me an email at stickaroundcast. I don't know why he's got this fucking accent now, but whatever. <laughs> We're rolling with it. That sticker right now. Gmail. Fucking Google. Corporate shits. Get stickerandpodcast.com. No, stickerandpodcast at gmail.com. Fuck Google, but we'll use their email. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. I loved the idols. Shout out. <laughs> Yeah, so that I, I I only got reminded of that last night. Uh, that was really well done, Clive. I think next week, William Shatner style, give your voice a bit of a rest. <laughs> you, you didn't know this, but I was doing an Andrew Fern during that. I was nodding and holding a beer. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I wish I had a baseline in, in preparation. I would have. Uh, that would have been a mess. If you give me a week, maybe this will, you know. <laughs> to end to end this challenge in about ten, twenty weeks' time, we can have another one of those, but properly done, properly prepped. Where where is Sleaford? It, that isn't that your your original neck of the woods, Link, Clive? Lincolnshire, isn't it? How um, far is it from is it, Gainsborough or wherever it is? I don't think is it's it, far away. You're right. Yeah, let me have a look. I, th- I think it's Lincolnshire or, not, or Nottinghamshire. It's definitely it's li- it, it is Lincolnshire. Area. I mean, they're not from there. That's the strange thing about the name, but. <laughs> It just sounds like a bit shit, doesn't it? I've not been. I, uh, I assume that's the point of it, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, it seems to be near RAF Cramwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's near Newark, so it's not that near. It's quite like quite far south of Lincoln, which isn't ten- where we tended to go. Between Lincoln and Grantham, basically. <laughs> Equidistant, I imagine. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Equidistant <laughs> from the cultural hubs of Lincoln and Grantham. <laughs> Well, I mean, Lincoln, it's got some culture. It's got. A I was going to. I was going to say. I suppose it is sort of. Yeah. It's got a big cathedral. That's all you need. That's culture. <laughs> culture. <laughs> what culture? What culture? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, whole whole city of culture. Yeah. Hopefully, um, you know, all you need is a cathedral to attract some Russian spies. Yeah, uh, so that's what they love. I remember when we were watching the Eurovision Song Contest, and uh, I can't remember which city it was now, but it was obviously they they, they cut to one of them and it went um, they went uh, greetings from I don't even know I'm just gonna pick one at random Sarajevo European capital of culture and then Wayne just went I think you'll find that's Hull mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it, definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this has been illuminating. Um, sorry for all of the the parcel deliveries and drop offs, guys. <laughs> but maybe they added something. I bet you don't get this you on the other stick around. No. No. no, maybe we should send them something. Well, that I, sounds I, a bit I, sinister, I think... doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something to send them. I th- I think we need to be just as passive slash aggressive aggressive as them and buy a sponsorship slot on their podcast. <laughs> I'll see if I can sort it out. Uh, do they do sponsorship? Uh, they, well, may- maybe not. I bet, they've, you know. I bet they've never been sponsored by Don Simon like we, we were once. <laughs> Don Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember if we actually pronounced it correctly or I've said called it Don Simon for comedic effect. I don't know. I think there was a silly accent with it, so I imagine it probably was Don Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, cool. Anyway, guys, uh, thank you very much for coming. Um, thank you very much, Michael Johnson. You are welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Clive Fisher. You are welcome. Uh, thank you very much, me. You've been fantastic as usual. Um, please come back next time, guys. Uh, remember to stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around